0: Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now, for our speaker.
1: The people of Israel are finally free. You see, the walls of Babylon are now behind them. And this brand new generation of Israel is heading to the land that their fathers spoke of. Just as it was prophesied 150 years before, the exile is now over. This new generation was experiencing something that many thoughts were only found in fairy tales. Hope. Every step closer back to the promised land is filled with the hope that God is going to do something new. It is widely believed that when Israel was rebuilding the temples after the exile, when they returned back home to the promised land, it is believed that a set of scrolls were found and they were brought to the priest as they were reestablishing everything. Now these scrolls were not of any scripture that they knew of. The priest and those who found it were not familiar with what what was written on these things. And to the priest's surprise, the words written down spoke in great detail of a prophecy of the post-exile period of Israel, the period in which they are living right now. It spoke about Everything that occurred during their time in the exile, and Israel being set free, it spoke about it in great detail. Everything that they read that occurred during their time in captivity, and everything about the exile itself was exactly as it was written. The priest asked, what date the scroll- what date was the scroll written in? And the response was, over 150 years ago before the exile. How could this be? The, the author, how would he have known these things? You see, the author had written what life after the exile would look like. He wrote that God would comfort his people. He wrote of why the exile took place, that it was a punishment for sin, not the neglect of God's love. Then, as they were going through this scroll, they came across something that took them even more by surprise. You see, after returning to Israel from Babylon, the priest had become focused really on one thing, on reestablishing the sacrifices so that God and Israel could once again be atoned. However, the scrolls that they were reading now spoke about the atonement that God is planning for Israel, his plan for the world. They read in the scroll of a servant who will come and that he is the sacrifice for which all will be atoned. They read, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silence. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For, his, for the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, By his knowledge, my righteous servants will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of Of many and made intercession for the transgressors. It's widely accepted in the church that the scrolls that were discovered on that day were the final writings of the prophet Isaiah before his death 150 years before the exile. It is also believed that these words were never spoken to Israel until they were discovered after the exile. After their discovery, they were then added to Isaiah's writings, giving us what we call today chapters 40 through 66. This was once again confirmed when a set of scrolls were discovered in a cave Outside of the Dead Sea in 1947. One of the scrolls that were found in these Dead Sea scrolls was an entire preserved writing of the book of Isaiah with all 66 chapters represented. Let's pray. Father, we just pray now that as we go into your word That, Lord, we just ask for your truth to only be spoken. Father, that your spirit to move among your people. That, God, that we pray. In fact, I pray. That as I'm standing here, that, Lord, only only the the words you want said come from my mouth. That, Father, I pray that if I say anything that isn't truth, isn't your truth, then just wipe it away. And that together, as we're here in this place, we collectively worship you. And that when we walk away from here, that we're not confused on what it is you want us to do. So Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Ooh, you got, you, you're out there, right? I'm going to tell you what. There are. I've been an officer, a pastor, preacher, whatever you want to call it, for 12 years now. 12 years and some change, and I have discovered that there are really two Sundays that are the most difficult to be a preacher. The first one is when we all know lunch is served afterward, because <laughs> that means I'm competing against fried chicken or something like that, and I get it. Listen, I get it. But the next one is the spring. Uh, fall or the spring saved thank you gosh I can't even think has it been is it only one hour that we lost why do I feel like I've lost like a whole year of my life Jeez, I woke up this morning and I was like where's the sun where, where oh son where have you gone I wanted to be a poet almost like David but man I came out of the house I said okay here we are so okay I, there's a couple of things that I want to, to say up before I, I dive in and I and I jump into what to what God uh, has for us. Uh, the first is, you know, I'm I am a human, you know this, right? I just want to make sure. Man, this I wanna I'm I almost not even want, tempted to say it, but I, I want to say it because I want him to be the focus. Is that more so than a usual week, this week has been very packed in my schedule um, we, we've had some funerals we had, we had the holiness retreat last weekend and on Tuesday we had our annual meeting and I would not have planned it that way but that's how it was and so coming into this I sat down and I, and I, and I gave my full attention to this study but I the reason why I'm saying this is that at any point and, and it's daylight savings on top of that At any point that I may go, Captain is just talking nonsense. I want you to know that's my flesh, not his word. Okay? At at any point that I, that it's just like, man, Captain is, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe he needs a day out, whatever. That's my flesh, not his word. His word is rich. It's rich. And I'm saying this because at any point, if you see me going off the deep end, just offer me a prayer. Just do this. I'll know what that means, okay? I'll know what it means, but here we are. All right. Now, you may have already noticed, right? We may have already kind of, we talked about this a minute ago, is that we're, we're making a transition. Now, usually, usually when I, uh, you know, leading up to Palm Sunday and to Easter and all of that, I'll have a very intentional six or seven week series on Lent, and we'll, and we'll walk through the life of Jesus Christ. You know, and I do that every year on purpose, intentionally. But just by the way our, our spring schedule fell this year, is that we were shifting that around. You know, I really felt, I really did feel that God wanted this, wanted us to experience that holiness retreat. I want, I, I do believe that. And I believe that the timing of it was not by accident, Now, even though I booked that on our calendar a year ago, but who would have known all of the things God is doing in our country leading up to that? And so I really do hope that if you joined us for that, or even if you've gone back to watch the the clips that we've sent out, is that if there was anything you needed to get rid of to get this elite, I hope you did that. Because his holiness is what we're chasing here. It's what we're going to be shooting. It's, It's his holiness and that when any of us, salvation army or not, we want to be holy because he's holy. That's our desire. But we're going to switch this next three weeks just a little bit. And we're going to lean into a little bit more uh, of up to that Easter story. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the three specific times that Jesus predicted his death. He did that three times in Scripture. And so he, oftentimes when he did that, he, he was just preparing to decide, hey, I'm this is going to happen. And you know, so he, he just three times was trying to prepare them, get them ready. And so today we're going to look at that very first time. Now, after some quick research, when I was looking through all this time you know with, with the predictions and the prophecies one thing is that it really should not have been a surprise that Jesus was going to die on a cross or at least suffer in some way in fact since the very beginning of since the garden itself there have been prophecies over and over again about the Messiah and what has to happen to the Messiah in order for there to be salvation and so, after some quick research, there appears to be an estimated around 72 generations between Adam and the garden to the birth of Christ. And now, each of these generations that we read through the Old Testament uh, had their own stories with God. They, they, it, we, can, we can read them, we can go through the Old Testament, and we can just look and see what each generation had to deal with decisions they had to make, calls that they had to, to lean into if they were going to follow him or not some chose yes some chose no and we can read through this throughout the entire old testament there have been prophets there have been prophets who spoke of a messiah that would that would give israel hope when things were not looking good for them every single prophecy every prophecy speaks of a servant that will be sent here to do one thing to suffer Every prophecy says it, that it will be here to suffer. However, that last part, the suffering part, was often forgotten or overlooked. Almost every time when we're, when we're talking or when we're looking at the Messiah. You see, when the Greeks conquered Jerusalem, in between that, that quiet time in the scriptures, when the Greeks came and conquered Jerusalem, there was a rumor that was started that the Messiah would be a military leader who will crush their enemies and it was easier for them, probably for any of us too, it was easier to put faith in a strong military leader than one who chose to come as a lamb. Now this takes us to Matthew 16. Now by this time the word Messiah had been thrown around a few times and jesus was often the one they were talking about referencing when they were speaking about the messiah and so some of them by when we read in the scripture we can see that some of them have started to believe maybe this is him this could be the guy but there are also a lot of people who are going "Ah, he's just another distraction and then we have this the religious leaders in the middle who just see him as a problem he's just making too much noise and so they, they, they have a whole different strat, a whole different tactic up their sleeve. But the, for the common person, they have to make a choice. Is it or is it not? And by this time in Matthew 16, there had been some buzz about it. There been, people have been talking about it. Could this be him? Now the scripture says, here in Matthew 16, the scripture says that Jesus wanted to actually know the opinion of his own disciples. He, he wanted to see what they thought he was. And so he did probably anything a good teacher would do and he asked them. He asked them, what did they think? And so that Jesus, while they were all gathered together, when he had all of his disciples together, he asked them, so what are people saying about the Son of Man these days? Now that's an interesting question to me. When I was studying, when I was reading that, I just kind of focused on that Why did he word it that way? Why didn't he just say, well, what do you think about the Messiah? Who who, who are people saying the Messiah? But he said, no. Who Who are people saying that is the Son of Man? That was an interesting thing to me. See, Jesus, he refers to the Messiah as the Son of Man. Now, when you look at your Old Testament, when you look at all of the prophets throughout the entire scriptures, there is only one prophet, only one prophet, who ever referenced the Messiah as the Son of Man. And that was Daniel. That was it. Nobody else said it. The Son of Man that Daniel spoke about when he prophesied, when he, when he, when he spoke into this concept of the Son of Man, speaks of a heavenly figure whom God has given authority, glory, and sovereign power. That's who Daniel was, is talking about. Listen, I, I know we're in exile. Hmm. I know we're in bondage. But the Son of Man will come. And he will have all authority, all glory, and all sovereign power. Now, interestingly enough, at least in the New Testament, when I read, there is actually zero, not one, not one account that anyone in the entire New Testament ever called Jesus the son of man except Jesus himself he referenced himself as the son of man 81 times in the gospels making it the most used term that Jesus used when speaking of himself it was a term of endearment he was the son of man so Jesus right here, when he was gathered with his disciples, he was really asking them, when, when he had them all together, he was asking them, who do people say is the one that David prophesied would be given all authority? There was no misunderstanding about what he was, what he was asking his disciples. What the, what the purpose of this question was. There was no, no question about it. You see, the disciples then, they replied. at least well, the way I read it, because I'm reading it like me. <laughs> and so when they, when they replied back, what I saw was that they replied back with their safe Sunday school answers. You see, they, they say, well, well, Jesus, some people say that that's John the Baptist. Others say that, that maybe Elijah is the son of man, while others, perhaps Jeremiah. Maybe after all this is said and done, we can grab a coffee and see what theological viewpoint you have on the subject, Jesus. But this is their safe answer when they're giving it to him. And it's often in our safe answers, you or my safe answers, when Jesus is trying to pierce our hearts the most. You see, Jesus transitions from that, that question, and then he asks them directly. Who do you say I am? He's not looking for a debate, a theological opinion here, or even a denominational difference. He is only looking at the heart. Who do you say I am? Now this is a question that each of us must answer. We will have plenty, I'm telling you, we will have plenty of times in our lives to answer this question with our mouths. But it will be the answer found in our hearts that matter most. Is he the Messiah? Who do you say I am? And when asked this question, when we read the scripture, when asked this question, Peter is the very first one to stand. He's quick to rise to his feet. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus is very quick. He goes over to Peter very quick and he, and he blesses him. He blesses Peter for that answer. But then he follows up and he says, "My father, Peter, listen to me. My father has revealed this answer to you. He has shown you that I am he. Now listen, Peter, you are the rock that I will build my church. The gates of hell will not overcome it. And then Jesus then, he, he turns to the rest of the group in that room. And he tells them all that it's not time to share that he is the Messiah. It's not that time yet. It's not, we're not ready for that just yet. But he did feel that it was the first time, at least in scripture, he felt that it was time to start preparing them for what is gonna come. We're not, we're making a transition in the ministry of Jesus. It, it's, it's now time to say, okay, I, you've been following me, but now you need to become you need to come close to me. You need to you need to know me. And so he opens up and he says that th- that things are going to change. He began to share that he, Jesus, would need to go to Jerusalem. And that he will must, in fact, he has to suffer many things. He will give him, so he tells him, that I'm going to give myself over to those who accuse me. And I will not fight back. This will end in death, my disciples. But it will begin with my resurrection. And after Jesus said this, when he said it will begin in his resurrection. Peter took Jesus, took Jesus to the side. He removed him from the group, and he took them to the side. And he did something, at least when I was reading, when I was studying, he did something that was unthinkable by the other disciples. Peter actually rebukes Jesus, the Messiah, for saying what he just said to the entire group. Peter tells Jesus, no, it wasn't a kind, it was, no, this will not happen to you, no. This will not happen to you. Now this, the way that he said it, the way that Peter said it was was not said as a plea, as in, oh, Lord, please hear me. No, 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 he was saying it as a voice of authority on Jesus's life. It would seem that Peter has become very confident in his position within the church. And after all, we just read just a few minutes ago that Jesus just literally just told him that God speaks to him over the others, that God revealed to him that he was the Messiah. And so this may have given Peter a sense of authority over Jesus giving him the boldness, is what we read, the boldness to tell Jesus what he will and will not do. Now, I'm sure Peter meant well, but Jesus dying and suffering was part of his plan. I'm going to tell you that this happens way too much in the church today. You see, many of us, and I'm not excluded from this, that many of us use the voice of God to try and get our way, to fulfill our plans. And we, church, we must, we must use caution when claiming the authority of God in a situation to ensure, to ensure that what is being said is for his kingdom and not ours. You see, we get in trouble when we start throwing around the voice of God in an effort to try to get our way or our plans completed. You see, it waters down when God is ready to move. And the sheep, me, can't recognize the shepherd's true voice. You see, when this happens we will be met with the same response that was given to Peter every time. Because after Peter put his foot down, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Man, I don't want to be called that. But he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And Jesus, he returned Peter's rebuke with an even stronger rebuke. And I'm certain, Listen, I'm certain that Peter thought that he was saying the right thing. That he wasn't trying to do anything intentional, evil or bad or anything like that. I mean, he just, he just didn't want to see Jesus die. I mean, I think that was the intent of his heart. But the reality is, is that Peter only saw Jesus as the embodiment of power and strength, instead of as the suffering servant. And this will this, this still happens in the church today. I think that we sometimes only see Jesus for his strength and power, but we forget that he saved the world with humility, humbling himself to the cross, knowing that he had the power and strength to stop it, but didn't. And so after Jesus rebukes Peter, he turns to the rest of the disciples and he tells them, if any of you want to be like me, You must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And the disciples knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said these words. You see, in the past 2,000 years, we have done a really good job at cleaning up the cross. But during these times, The cross was an unrelenting instrument of death. The cross had no other purpose. The cross wasn't about religious ceremonies. It weren't found on necklaces. It wasn't a spiritual symbol. The cross was simply a way to execute people. And to make matters worse, it wasn't even Jewish, it was Roman it was bad enough that Jesus had to die but to die at the hands of the Gentiles the disciples are focused on the earthly things we see that over and over again that they are focused on the earthly things and Jesus is trying to get their minds on the spiritual things. Jesus is telling them that if they want to be like him, then you must deny yourself and take up your cross. It's the only way. Even in my weakness, that's the only way. That's it. And I want you to notice that he makes these two appeals equal. They both express the same idea to deny yourself and to take up your cross. The cross wasn't about self-promotion. It wasn't an Instagrammable moment because every person in history whoever carried their own cross knew that by the time they got to that point it was over death was knocking and so there I'm going to tell you that there is something to be said about that image alone to be carrying our cross knowing that we can't save ourselves and so today I think many of us can find ourselves in Peter's position you see we view I view the church and his kingdom with earthly eyes and forget that he Is greater than what we can see. He is working in areas that we do not go. He is softening hearts that have turned to stone. This is what He does. In all of Scripture, in all of Scripture, I have never read. That Jesus commands his people to go fight, debate, or argue on his behalf, but instead to always deny ourselves and be humble and to take up our cross, putting to death our pride. In Matthew 16, as a reminder that if we really want to follow Jesus, then it must always be about Him.
0: Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, Be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.